My name is Rick Renner, and today I'm seated on a cliff above the Dead Sea. And sitting here, I can't help but think about God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. We read about that in Genesis chapter 18. And in that chapter, three visitors came to Abraham. Two were angels, and one of them was the Lord. And the Lord began to speak to Abraham, beginning in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know it. The first thing this tells us is God can hear the cry of sin. All the way in heaven, God could hear the grievous sin that was taking place in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And now Jesus himself comes with two angels to make a divine inspection, wondering, could it really be as bad as it sounds? And they came down to see it with their own eyes. Then the Bible tells us in verse 22, and the men, that's the two angels that accompanied the Lord, turned their faces from thence and they went toward Sodom. Abraham was very concerned because he knew when they got to Sodom, they would discover it might have been worse than what they anticipated. And living there was his nephew, Lot. And Abraham knew that if Sodom and Gomorrah was judged, his nephew would also be judged. So the Bible says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And the next verse says, and Abraham drew near. And then he began to negotiate and he began to intercede because he knew that his nephew was in trouble. Lot was a righteous man. The Bible tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 2, but he was not living a very righteous life. So Abraham became his personal intercessor and prayed for him. And because of Abraham's intercession, Lot was delivered. You have power to intercede for people. Maybe you know someone who's righteous, but right now they're not living very righteously then you need to take the role like Abraham and draw near to the Lord and intercede on their behalf. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. My name is Rick Browner, and I want to welcome you to today's program. As I told you in the introduction, today we're going to be talking about how you can draw near to the Lord on behalf of anyone you know that is in trouble. Maybe your grandkids are in trouble or your child. Maybe it's your spouse making decisions that you do not understand. Or maybe you know a fellow believer and you look at them and think, what in the world are they thinking? You know, if these people keep doing what they're doing, they're going to end up in a really bad place, reaping some really bad fruit. And you don't want that for them. But just wringing your hands and worrying is not going to change anything. You need to know how to draw near to the Lord to intercede for them. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. You can make a difference in their life. And by the way, I'm speaking to you from my series by that title called How to Intercede for People Who Are in Trouble. We all know someone who's in trouble. Unfortunately, those who are in trouble usually don't know that they're in trouble. They're blind to what they're doing. They're deceived. So they need somebody like you to help them.
They may not listen to your words, but God will listen to your prayers and you can make intercession for those who are in trouble. Comes with a great study guide. And by the way, our study guides are just super. If you go to our website, you find that we have so many different study guides which we offer. You should go and browse through that and see what we have. These are great for Bible study. And right now we're also offering you Denise's book, which is called The Gift of Forgiveness. This is a small book, but it is powerful. You can read it in one setting. I offer this book to people all the time that are struggling. I give it as a gift to people who need to find forgiveness. If you've ever dealt with issues of shame, this book is really powerful. It'll be a blessing to you. So order your copy today. And by the way, if you need prayer, we're here for you. We're waiting to hear from you right now. And we'd like to pray with you. Now grab your Bible, get a cup of coffee or cup of tea, get something to drink. Join me as we jump into Genesis chapter 13. Let me quickly review what we covered yesterday. We saw yesterday that Abraham began his walk of faith and with him was his wife Sarai and he took with him his nephew Lot. And as far as Abraham was concerned, this was his eventual heir. He did not have a child Lot would be the heir to all of his possessions. So he took Lot with him and they came into the land of promise. When Abraham came home that day, when he met God, he told his whole family about his encounter and Lot was there. Lot was there the day that Abraham announced his own conversion. Lot was listening to that. When Abraham and Sarai began their walks of faith, guess who was there with them walking the same walk? Lot was with them. Every step that Abraham took, Lot took with him. You could say they had a parallel walk because Lot was right alongside of Abraham. When they came into the land of promise and they saw the giants, Lot was there. He saw the giants. He saw his uncle's response. Rather than run home in fear, his uncle began to gather stones and build an altar to call unto the name of of the Lord, and guess who helped him collect the stones to build the altar? Lot. Lot was there helping to build the altar, and together as a family, they called on the name of God. When they went over into Egypt, and Abraham was mightily protected by God, Lot was living under that protective hand. When they left Egypt, financially blessed by the blessings of God, Lot was there also blessed by the blessings of God. As long as he was with Abraham, He was in a good place, under a good, solid spiritual influence, living under protection and living under blessing, walking the walk of faith. So Lot had a very good beginning. He had a very good beginning. You could say he was a church boy. He grew up under the influence of good, godly leaders. But when you come to Genesis chapter 13, you find that Abraham gives Lot an opportunity to go another way and Lot takes the opportunity. We read about this in Genesis 13, verse 10, when the Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was even as the garden of the Lord. When the Bible says Lot lifted up his eyes, it means from where he was, from that vantage point, he could look out into the valley and see everything in front of him. And in front of him was something absolutely beautiful and he beheld it. He scrutinized it. He looked at it with delight. He had a hook that hooked him and lured him in that direction. And what we find is that Lot had left Ur of the Chaldees, but Ur of the Chaldees had never left Lot. 
this area in front of him was very similar to where they were from. And even though he had physically been removed from his past, his past was still in him. There was something in him still lured to his background, to his past. And when he saw the territory in front of him and was given an opportunity to go there, he went there. The world was still in him. And the Bible tells us in verse 11, Lot chose all the plain of the Jordan and journeyed east, and they separated the one from the other. Verse 12, Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. That's very important. Abraham also could have left, I guess, but the land of Canaan is where God called him. It was the place of promise. So Abraham camped in the promise. He's not budging from the promise. Lot, however, it says, dwelled in the cities of the plain. This is not what God promised and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Well, Sodom was a very opulent city. A lot of affluence, a lot of business, a lot of opportunity. In fact, Sodom was the capital of all the cities in the valley there. And Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And every night he sat under the flap of his tent. And from where he sat, he could see the lights of the city. He could hear the sounds of the city. He could probably smell the smells of the city. And it was such a magnet that it kept drawing him to move his tent closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until finally one day Lot ended up right in the very middle of Sodom itself. That is a place Lot should have never gone. And Lot knew that this was not a place for a righteous man. Righteous people don't live in Sodom. He didn't just barge right in there. He did what everybody does. He went there one step at a time. People backslide one little step and another little step and another little step. And Sodom was so horrible that the Bible tells us in Genesis 13, 13, and the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And when the Bible says they were wicked, that particular word for wicked describes one who breaks all the rules, one who violates all the standards. These were people who broke all the norms and they did what was wrong in the sight of God. And we're going to get more into that a little bit later. But there are mentions of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And very quickly, I want to refer to these. Moses talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And Moses said the whole land became a waste of salt and sulfur after the judgment of God. Nothing planted would grow, nothing would sprout, no vegetation would grow there. The Lord absolutely overthrew it in his fierce anger. That is how terrible was Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin that took place there. What in the world was Lot doing there? Isaiah tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with shameless sinning. Jeremiah tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with adultery and lies. What in the world was Lot doing there? Ezekiel tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Neither did they help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and they committed abominations. What a memory of Sodom and Gomorrah. Amos warns that other cities, if they don't repent, will be judged just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Zephaniah warned that Moab and Ammon would also be judged like Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus spoke three different times about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus warned that some cities who heard his message and would not repent would be judged more severely than Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus again prophesied that cities like Capernaum who saw his works and did not repent, they would be brought lower than Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Jesus told us in Luke chapter 17 that the people of Sodom ate, drank, bought, sold, planted, and builded. Their life was just going on and on, a very affluent, prosperous society. But God rained fire and brimstone upon them because of their sin. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 tells us a future judgment is coming like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 declares just as God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, a day is coming in the future when God is going to judge the wicked. He says it very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 2. And finally, Jude tells us in verse 7 that Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves to fornication and went after strange flesh. What does that mean, strange flesh? Well, we know the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were involved in homosexuality and all kinds of sexual perversion. And according to the writings of Jude in verse 7, they were a people as a whole, generally, who gave themselves to fornication and who went after strange flesh or all types of sexual perversion. And finally, when you come to the book of Revelation, and John is writing the book of Revelation, he tells us in Revelation chapter 11 that Sodom is a symbol of sin and all defilement. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is just horrible. Everything about it is horrible. It was so terrible. God wiped it off the face of the earth, and yet Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. He negotiated with himself that he could live in the middle of all of that sin without being affected by it. That's usually what people do who are backsliding. They negotiate with themselves, well, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm strong. I think I can handle it. And they coax themselves into believing it's okay to do what they should not do. That's exactly what Lot did when he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And gradually, he began to move there one step at a time until finally he found himself living right in the very middle of Sodom itself. And this leads us to Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Now, Lot has moved into Sodom. When he went there, it seems he was a single man, but now he's lived there so long, he's married a woman, he has a family, he's living in Sodom. You're going to find out later that when the angels do come to destroy Sodom, they find Lot sitting in the gate of the city. That's where all the city leaders sat, which meant Lot was very entrenched in Sodom. He was really a part of the fabric of the city by the time the angels came. But when we come to Genesis chapter 18, listen to what the Bible says. And the Lord appeared unto Abram in the plains of Mamre. In this particular case, this word Lord is the word Hashim. The word Hashim for Lord denotes mercy. So you could say that mercy appeared unto him. This was a merciful appearance of God. Verse 2, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. You're going to find that two of these were angels, and one of them was the Lord. Listen to verse 16. And the men rose up from thence, the word men here refers to two angels, and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. These angels had come to make an investigation of Sodom. You're going to find out the cry of Sodom was so grievous 
that God had heard it all the way in heaven. Interesting that in Scripture we find there are two things which God literally hears on the earth. We find from this chapter that God hears the cry of sin, and we find in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 that when God's people cry out and pray, God hears the cry of His people. Heaven can physically hear sin, and heaven can physically hear prayer and in both cases in Scripture, we find that when God hears sin that is very grievous, God comes down to make an investigation. And when God hears the prayers of His people, it results in God coming down to deliver His people. God hears sin and God hears prayer. These are the two things which reach the ears of heaven. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 17. And the Lord said, I like to say, and mercy said, because it is the word Hashim, and mercy said, this is mercy crying out. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they've done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know it. Or the Lord basically says, The cry that I have heard, the sin coming from Sodom and Gomorrah is so horrific, it's hard to even comprehend it could be that bad. In fact, it is so terrible, the cry of it, I'm going to come down and check it out myself. Now we're going to find out God does not himself personally go, but he dispatches the two men or the two angels to the city of Sodom to make an investigation. And here we discover that God does angelic investigations. That's what we find in verse 21. Verse 22 says, And the men, that is the angels, turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. So now the two angels that have come with the Lord have been dispatched and they're making movement toward Sodom. And Abraham knows this is going to be real trouble. Lot is living there with his family. His nieces and his nephews are living there. And Lot knows that what they have heard in heaven from Sodom, ay, 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 when they get there and look at it, it's going to be just as bad as they think. In fact, maybe even worse. And Abraham knows if he doesn't make quick intercession, his nephew Lot, whom he loves so much, and who at this particular moment is his only inheritor, may go up in destruction. So what does Abraham do? The Bible tells us in verse 22, And the men turned their faces from things and went toward Sodom, and Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So the angels have been dispatched. Abraham is standing near to the Lord. He's standing before the Lord. And verse 23 says, And Abraham drew near. He knew this is my moment to save my nephew. And he drew near to the Lord. When you know that someone is in trouble, that's not a moment just to wring your hands. That's a moment for you to stand before the Lord and draw near to the Lord. And we find in this chapter that Abraham began to make intercession and literally he began to negotiate with God. Look what the Bible says next. Abraham said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous and the with the wicked? It's amazing to me that he called Lot righteous because Lot was not living very righteously. He was righteous, but he wasn't living very righteously. Look at verse 24. Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and spare not the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, 
and that the righteous should be judged as the wicked that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's not just drawing near, he's getting very bold in his prayers. Verse 26, the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Verse 27, and Abraham answered and said, behold, now I'm going to approach you again. I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. Verse 29. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And the Lord said, I will not do it for the forty's sake. Verse 30. And he said unto him, O let the, not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be found thirty there. And the Lord said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Verse 31. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord again. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy for twenty's sake. And finally in verse 32, Abraham gets to the number that he wanted to be at when he started. And he says, O Lord, let, do not be angry, and I will speak unto you, but this one more time, peradventure, ten shall be found there. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the ten's sake. Why in the world did Abraham go through this whole negotiating process when he knew he wanted to end with the number ten? That's really where he wanted to start, and that's where he ended. It seems that Lot, if you counted his wife and his children and his sons-in-laws and everybody that was there with him, most scholars believe there were ten. Abraham knew that when he started this. But Abraham didn't know how bold he could be with God. Remember, Abraham is the first man to walk in faith. Abraham is the first man to ever make intercession. So he's testing the water to see how bold he can be with the Lord. So he's literally negotiating, or I like to say, the original Jew is Jewing down God as he prays. And finally he comes down to the number 10. And when he heard that God would not destroy the 10, he was satisfied. And verse 33 says, And the Lord went his way, again it's the word Hashim, mercy went his way, as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Now how bold can you be with God? Well, look at this example. Abraham was very bold, and the Bible says the Lord went his way as soon as he had left off communing with Abraham. God was not offended by this. As far as God was concerned, this was high-level communion. God enjoys it when we come before him and we're bold. That's what this means. God says, I like this. Come to the negotiating table. Let's talk. God called this communion. And when mercy went his way, the Bible says Abraham returned unto his place. Or Abraham went home, went to bed, and slept the whole night and didn't worry a moment about Lot and his family because he knew he had secured their deliverance when he stood before the Lord and he drew near to the Lord. Did you know Hebrews 4.16 tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find mercy to help in the time of need. God wants you to be bold when you intercede for anyone that is in trouble. Don't be worrying that you're going to be too bold or too arrogant. God says, come to the table, negotiate with me. Remember, God said that when Abraham did this, it was communion. God wants you to be bold. God wants you to be direct. And you will find help for those who are in trouble. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment, and I want to pray for you.
Do you know someone who is making wrong choices? Are there people in your life who have walked away from God? What do you do to help someone find their way back to Jesus? In Rick Renner's series, How to Intercede for People Who Are in Trouble, you'll learn what to do when someone you love needs Jesus. Everyone makes mistakes, but what do you do when someone you know or love continues down a path toward destruction? The Bible tells what to do. Pray. In this powerful series, Rick uncovers the principles Abraham followed to pray for his nephew Lot that saved his life and led him out of sin. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10, you'll discover how your prayers can shake heaven and be effective for those you love. When you call or go online today, you can also get the companion book, The Gift of Forgiveness. Life's too short to harbor bitterness. That's why forgiveness is a gift you give not only to others, but also to yourself. Forgiveness frees you and others to move on without being encumbered by unfinished business. Available for just $7, the gift of forgiveness will help you step into freedom and move forward with God's plan for your life. Don't miss this special offer, How to Intercede for People Who Are in Trouble, and or the companion book, The Gift of Forgiveness. Call now or go to renner.org to order. Get these two powerful resources today. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa and I call this phase three. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for phase three, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When the Bible says come boldly, it is a Greek word parousia, which means to be very frank, very straightforward, very blunt. The Lord wants you to be blunt when you're praying, especially when you're praying for someone who is in trouble. And the purpose of praying very directly is that we might find grace to help in the time of need. That word find is a Greek word eurisko, which means to make a discovery. It's really where we get the word eureka. In other words, when you pray for others, you will come to a eureka moment where you find what you need. And what you need is described in this verse as something that we receive in time of need, the Greek word boetheia, which was a military word, which described a soldier who came forward to fight on behalf of another soldier who was fallen. When a soldier heard that another soldier was fallen, he came forward to defend them, to deliver them, to get them out of the ditch. That's the word that is used here. 
If you know someone that's in a ditch, if you know someone that's in trouble, they're making critically wrong decisions, rather than just sit and watch, be bold in prayer. Pray confidently, pray frankly, be blunt with God, and Eureka, you will find the help. You'll get an answer to your prayer as Jesus, the greatest warrior of all, comes forward to deliver the one that is in trouble. That's what Jesus does. The great warrior comes to deliver those who are fallen in any way. And our job is to boldly ask for that assistance. You can do that today. In Jesus' name, I say to you, go to the Lord in prayer. Stand before him, draw near to the Lord, and you will find the help you need for yourself or for that person you're worried about that is in trouble. I'll see you in the next program.